Now, hey, deal makers, and welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. This is the show for you. Our guest today is Dan Briss, and he's a professional snowboarder for over a decade. He was actually one of the most prolific medalists in the X Games, having medaled four times and received two gold medals. And this guy is now literally has over a thousand units of multi real estate. So are you curious to see how that transition happened? Well, I am. We're going to get into that show here in just a little bit. So reminder here, Dealmaker Live tickets are in fact live at dealmakerliveevent.com. We still have early bird pricing. Prices are going up as we get closer to the event. So grab them right now. All right. Put it in your calendar. June 2nd through 4th in Dallas. It's going to be the event of the year. It's going to be awesome. You're going to be learning. You're going to be connecting with others. You're going to be able to raise capital and find deals. And it's going to literally propel you to the next level. So check that out, dealmakerliveevent.com. Come hang out with us. I want to shout out to Blues Buyers, who left a review on iTunes. Appreciate that. Following Michael's YouTube channel and podcast has been invaluable. The experience and words of wisdom he shares are concise. He's one of the greats in this space. So I appreciate that, Blues Buyers. Thanks so much. And I got a question from Instagram. Why would an investor want to do business with me if I don't have any experience and don't own any apartment buildings myself? That is a question of the day. And it's actually quite simple. They wouldn't. Okay. Let's just forget about it. I'm just kidding. Okay. Just kidding. Of course, it's actually quite simple and it's much simpler than you think because you don't need years of experience. You don't need millions of dollars in the bank. In fact, within 30 to 60 days, you can appear like a very experienced multifamily investor so that brokers and investors take you seriously. Uh, and so that's really that's really the, the short answer. It does require a little bit of education. So watch that YouTube channel, read the book, listen to this podcast, or at one point invest in yourself and uh, you're going to get there much faster. So that's a short answer. You don't need years of experience. So with that, let's get to bring on our show host here, Garrett. What's going on, man? What's going on, Michael? So, you know, what's interesting, I observe people, you know, especially successful people, people, they almost have like different careers. And sometimes a, a career is ended by some kind of like disaster, or it's an on serial entrepreneur that, you know, continues to evolve and, and create new things, but they completely shift. You know, and, and I, I know that for, for me, that's happened. I mean, I had a W-2 career until I was early, my early 30s. And then I spent basically eight years in the restaurant business, you know, cutting my teeth on that. That was significantly different than my software job, I can tell you that. And and now, you know, we we manage thousands of units in multifamily and we help people and we educate people. So I've had this happen a little bit as well. And and I'm sure it's affected you as well. And the question is, you know, what's been kind of your story and how do you manage one transition to another? Yeah. So I started off in selling knives basically door-to-door Cutco, that company. And during college, right? It's like a college, go door-to-door, sell things. And it was amazing for telling me pay for college. But then I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I stick with these guys uh, long-term? So I was like, you know, I think my next thing is going to be nightclubs. I thought that was my path forward. Got into that. So I reinvented myself going into that space because I thought that's what I wanted. And then got a couple of years into that. And I'm like, yeah, this is just unhealthy and, and silly. And so, so then I was like, all right, I'm going to reinvent myself again. 
and I'm going to start doing something with real estate, but I don't know what, because the reality is real estate has so many different avenues. Are you going to be like a real estate agent? That's what everyone thinks about the most, right? They think about real estate. My mom was doing that. I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. So I started dabbling in real estate, making basically $0 or very few dollars doing wholesaling or something in the hood. And so that ended up evolving and it kind of kept morphing. And so I finally got to a place where I'm like, whoa. And I started a company with, with a friend. That company really blew up pretty big and then oh, got slammed. The partnership blew up and I, and I had to start over again. And so the theme of being an entrepreneur and starting over and reinventing yourself is something that's fairly common in a lot of different entrepreneurs have gone through that at some point before they stick something. And so, you know, there's, there's, is a big difference between being like a, a dabbler where you're just trying something for six months now, then actually trying to stick with one industry and move forward on it. But even inside of that industry, you can have restarts and that's okay. It's tough when you're in it really hard when you're going through it, but it will turn you into somebody else after that you never knew existed. I think it requires some wisdom and discernment to figure out when you should stick with something and when you should not, right? In my case, sticking with a W-2 job, in my case, you know, was just, it was not something that I wanted to do. And what happened though after that is I got a little bit shiny objectitis, partially because I was trying out different things, okay? But the point is, I think one of my mentors said, you know, if you're going to start a business, you got to stick with it for five years. He's a serial entrepreneur. And he suffered from uh, shiny objectitis as, as earlier on. He goes, you're sticking one for five years. It takes you five years to not just stabilize a business, but really put it on a path, on a growth path where someone else can run that company. And then you can step away and do it again. You need five years. That's a really long time, right? And so a lot of people, you know, especially entrepreneurs, they get something going, they get the plate spinning, uh, either in a year, year and a half in, they're like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then they they do something else because maybe they get bored with it. It doesn't give you enough traction. So really the wisdom, don't get too attached to what you're doing right now. You know, evaluate whether that's going to serve you moving forward. But on the other hand, stick with things and stick with things longer than than you might think as well. And so our guest today is similar, man. I mean, he was, you know, his life was snowboarding. He won a bunch of gold medals at X Games, and and uh, he's got some pretty cool cr- uh, trailers on on YouTube. If you if you Google Dan Bridge snowboarding, it's pretty cool. So he was a snowboarder. That was his identity. And then something happened where his identity started shifting. It's confusing when when we go through these reinventions. It's a confusing time. It's a very unsettling time because we love our comfort zone, but sometimes it's a necessary thing to get to the next stage. And he went through that as well. And then somehow magically. And he was able to use real estate and multifamily as a way to transition out of that sport. And a lot of uh, professional athletes struggle with that transition and they lose their money just a few years after they, they quit whatever sport they're doing. And he made that transition using multifamily real estate. So he describes uh, that journey that he went through. He has also a podcast called The Keeping It Real, The Keeping It Real Estate Show. And he has co-authored a book called Five Steps to Successful Passive Investing. So let's get right here into the interview with Dan Brees. Dan, welcome to the show today. Hey, thanks for having me, Michael. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. 
Yeah, so it's uh, I think the first time we've had a professional snowboarder on here. Um, you were really one of the most apparently one of the most prolific, you know, real medal medal winners in in the X Games. You've you've uh, medaled four times and received two goals. And I just saw a, a kick ass trailer from 2018 where you're like literally snowboarding off like buildings, houses. At one point, you're you're jumping off the roof, and you're coming straight down the wall before actually hitting snow. Like that's sick. Like what do you miss most about that? Yeah, yeah, you know, what I miss most, I guess, would be the highs after landing those tricks. You know, the we call it trick high in yeah. snowboarding. It's kind of like it just the most exciting moment you're going to have this euphoric feeling that lasts for, you know, can last for, you know, 10 minutes to a couple of days, depending on how much the, you know, the trick meant to you. So that's the part I'd miss the most for sure. Yeah, it's the highs. What about the lows? Yeah, the lows, uh, I don't miss the injury, the travel, you know, once I, I had this career that was this really incredible career, but I got to the point where I started having kids and that was about 2018 exactly. And my son was born and things changed just traveling and the risk to reward started to not line up. And I could see the writing on the wall. You know, I was like, this is not going to last. And even if it could, I don't really want it to anymore. It was a childhood passion growing up. I grew up in central Minnesota, moved to Salt Lake city when I was 18. And I mean, I pushed everything. My whole life was 100% focused on this snowboarding career. And then, at, you know, I got maybe six to eight years into my career and things started to change slowly. And I could see I maybe had a four to five year period to wind it down. So that's when I started to really kind of look into real estate. But you were able to make a living during this time. Is, is that right? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, not not all pro snowboarders do. It's not quite like football, basketball and baseball, but you can make between 500 to a couple million a year if you're one of the top guys. If you're not one of the top guys, you're probably making 100,000 or less. You know, it's it's kind of like eating ramen noodles almost nowadays. But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> with all the, with all the, with all the travel. But yeah, so so you you saw the writing on the wall at your maybe your career got came to an end and and uh, it's obviously super competitive. And and what prompted you to get into real estate? I mean, obviously, very few professional athletes get into real estate. They they do. They'll they'll do everything but invest in something yeah. that actually makes sense. And now, how in the world did you get into real estate? Yeah, yeah. Well, midway through my career, a lot of my childhood heroes became my friends. I lived in Salt Lake City, and I met all these other pro snowboarders who were much further along in their career and much bigger names than me. And as they were getting older, their careers started to wind down. And as I saw their careers winding down, it was just brutal. You know, I mean, it was scary losing their homes or, you know, divorce, drug addiction. I mean, it was, it wasn't pretty, you know, you don't see that stuff behind the scenes. That stuff's all, you know, he, he's no longer on the team. So once I started seeing that stuff, I just, I could tell the, the current investments I was making with my financial advisor talking about retiring at 65 I was like, that's not going to work. You know, I don't have Tom 65 and my income's good now. What can I do with the money I'm making to make it work hard for me and start paying me a quarterly payment or a monthly payment and actually increase my passive income? So that was really what it was, is I was just looking for a way to maintain my freedom. You know, having that freedom of time as a snowboarder and that passion, what the hell am I going to do? without a college degree, no backup plan. Like, you know, everyone was like, when I was coming up, what's your backup plan, Dan? And my backup plan answer was there is no backup plan. This is going to work. Oh, yeah. And everyone I think would kind of think this guy's nuts in which, you know, I kind of was. Well, you probably, probably, you know, friends were, you probably are. But what led you to believe that you can use real estate to kind of slowly exit that? Like who led you to believe that or what, or what, what was going yeah. on? There? I think it was a little bit of like reading rich dad, poor dad, 
you know, some of those books and, and understanding the difference between the E, S, B, and I quadrants. And, you know, I never heard any of that stuff growing up. I never even knew what different quadrants there were and different kinds of income and how it was taxed differently. And I read these books and I just like, there's so much here that I think is more important and better to know and, and, and more valuable than what I learned in K through 12. So that's, that's really where it was. And, and just learning that you could, you could run and operate your own businesses and control your destiny more than just giving your money to a financial advisor and just hoping and praying that at 65, they put you in the right places. Yeah. Now, this is the problem with the, with the purple book, which uh, also ruined my life. But one of the things that doesn't, it, it first of all, it messes you up, I guess, mentally. Because I was saying, I was like, oh, God, I'm such an idiot. You know, it doesn't matter how much money I have in the bank or what my job is. Depends on how much passive income I get, right? Not, which, which I had very right. little, if basically none. And the only problem with the dumb book is it doesn't tell you how to get there. It mentions real <laughs> estate a lot and cash flow businesses a lot. But you're like the the readers. It's left to the readers' devices to figure out. Okay, how do I replicate said passive income? And so I'm yeah. curious. What did you do? You know, like your next thing. Like, what was the next thing in real estate that you did? Like, what was your initial path? You know, I started reading every book I could get my hands on regarding uh, multifamily and passive income, and I came across Ken McElroy, which is one of uh, Robert's kind of right hand man yeah, guys. Yeah, ABCs of real estate investing. Yeah, great. Yeah, and I read his book, The ABCs of Real Estate Investing, and I was just, I was like, wow, he make he makes it sound like it's possible. You know, like when you're young, growing up, you're like, how the hell are you going to buy a fifty million or thirty million or twenty million dollar building? Like you don't even know it's possible. So you started kind of, I started digging through books and just reading a ton of books and just doing some self-education. I started flying all over the country, looking for different, you know, forms of education. I, uh, I went to like the real estate guys mentoring program that they had and a bunch of weekend trainings. And, you know, that was kind of the, that was kind of the gist of it. And then, and then I finally ended up hiring kind of like a more of a personal mentor, someone to help me through, throughout like the, the weekly, monthly, yearly processes of finding deals and actually buying right. Yeah. So, so did you pursue multifamily and right out of the gate? Was that your, your initial strategy? Yeah. I, I ended up buying a, a nine unit deal first and then I bought a duplex and then I bought a 24 unit deal all on my own. And, you know, I could see, Hey, you know, as much as money as you're making, which again, wasn't a ton of money, but it was enough where at some point you're going to run dry. You know, these deals take cash. So I ended up reaching out to a couple of good friends. We ended up buying a 28 unit deal together. And that gentleman, Mike, and I started Granite Towers Equity Group, which is now our investment firm where we buy multifamily value add deals and we raise capital from investors. But that was really in the beginning, it was just looking for passive income, trying to find a way to put my money to work and learning all I could. And, and we, you know, I was hiring all the management companies during my snowboarding career for those four, four deals or so. And I was on weekly calls with them while I was doing my snowboarding career. And it was an incredible, incredible learning experience. And luckily I was buying in 2012 where you kind of couldn't screw it up. You know, market was headed in the right direction. So I, I got lucky really. And um, and then and then I started to learn more about how lucky I actually was getting as I was buying these deals on my own as I got more educated. Yeah, I mean, so the, the thing is, I think educating yourself is is key early early on, and 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 it, it does shortcut a lot of things. In other words, you're able to you know bypass single family house investing, you know, which which derailed me for for years just just because you're you're reading some books, maybe you're talking to people, and there's a lot of value in that. The problem is a lot of people get stuck in that phase. And they keep reading or listening or watching, and they never actually take action. What compelled you to actually say, "Okay, I'm kind of done reading these books now. Now it's time to actually make offers." What what compelled yeah. you to, to bridge that gap? 
Yeah, for me, it was kind of a, a, a positive and a negative, you know, the part where my snowboarding career was coming to an end, regardless of what I wanted, you know, so there was this point where I was doing well and I was like, I really should be buying multifamily. And then I started to get some feedback from some brands that some of these contracts were likely going to end, you know, in a year or two years. So I could see that whether I want to buy or don't, I have to, like, this is a point where you're kind of up against the wall. So I think that that fear of my career running out and still having you know, funds coming in to allow the freedom and have passion. And, and that was really, it It was just that I knew it was going to end. Did you have financial advisors around like typically like athletes that I, that I am friends with or been friends with, they have like financial advisors that are around them or in this group of people, or I'm just curious, did you have those kind of influences around you during, during that time? Or was it just kind of like, Oh, I'm on my own. Yeah, it, I had, you know, I had a financial advisor that I went and sought out for the call at Northwestern Mutual, you know, like a, a yeah. big firm, but it wasn't like a elite, you know, like tight group of financial advisors. Like you're probably talking about, we, we talked to some athletes and they have this kind of like a higher level, more, um, you know, served up platter of financial investments from a little, that's a little bit more in detail. So I didn't have that going on. Um, there were other people in the industry that were doing, you know, some sort of investing and stuff, but no, it wasn't, it wasn't really like that. It was more just, it was more just kind of me on my own and, and realizing that I, I needed to do something. And I guess at the end of the day too, I, the kind of person I am is I want to have the control. I realized, you know, there were so many times where I gave funds and money to people and put money in deals, or, or I did these sidebar investments that didn't end up doing very well. And I was really upset about those. And I'd, I'd rather me be upset at me than, you know, saying, Oh, I didn't study well enough. Here's 50 K or whatever it may be. And then the 50 K is gone. So I, I think that was part of it too, is I just want to be the one and I believe in what we're doing. I believe in, you know, Mike and I, I know how thorough we are. So why wouldn't you put your money where you know the most? And, and that's just kind of how it went. Now, it's, it must have been disappointing to you to not uh, get get more investors from the snowboarding world because that was your world, right? I mean, that's yeah, that's what you know. And sometimes sometimes this happens. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, you've kind of kind of a setback. And, and then, you know, now you've got friends and family. That, were you ever concerned about taking money from friends and family? Uh, was that kind of a weird thing? Yeah. I always tell them if they're, if I, if I'm close to them, this is a projection at the end of the day, if I lose all your money and you're not comfortable with that, don't invest. And I'm pretty blunt with it. You know, it's like you're a big boy now. Um, if you're going to come into this deal, these are our projections. My money's here. You can see how much I'm putting in. Um, I believe in the deal enough to put my money in the deal. So if you want to take this risk together with us, let's go, but don't be calling me in, in, in two years, if it didn't kill it saying you hate me and, and you're going to, cause I'm probably going to tell you the truth of, we had this call before you joined and this is a risk. And, and so anyway, luckily we've never had those calls and um, I, hopefully we don't ever, but that's how I handle friends and family that are close. Yeah. I think there's always that, that bit of uh, it's kind of a scary thing. And even, even now, I mean, I'm, I'm 11 years into this industry. And there's always in the back of my head, I'm like, you know what, there is a potential that something happens and we're not going to get to the projections we thought or whatever. And then my family's involved. And so, you yeah. know, I think, I think in general though, like it, at least in our industry, it's tough to really like, you have to do a lot of things wrong to lose an investor dollar. Like actually they give me a hundred dollars, let's say, and they give them back 50. You have to do a lot to, because there's yeah. so many there's so many positive things happening in, in just 
there's so many ways to make money in the multifamily game. But the, the more common thing is, hey, it doesn't come out exactly as intended, which you see. And so I'm just curious in, in your situation, you know, because you, you started out in one place, how has your strategy evolved over time? Because you've been doing it for a decent amount of time. Yeah. Um, what did that look like for you? Yeah. Yeah. And just to touch on that other piece with, with investors, I just wanted to, one other piece that came into my mind when you were talking was I'm almost more concerned with where, where the dollar ends up in five to 10 years versus what our investments look like. And because these investments roll with inflation, I'm more concerned for people like my parents, my brother of them saving their dollars in the bank. than, than Great saving. point. Yeah. You know, I, I feel better personally um, with, yeah, I have some cash for sure. But I feel great when I wire a hundred grand into a deal or whatever I wire into a deal, 50 grand into a deal. I'm like, okay, cool. That money I don't have to necessarily worry about anymore. It's kind of in a place where it's a safe haven. So, but that's uh that's that. Getting to your your next question, the the strategy that it changed was it was first buying smaller deals with my own money, recourse loan, not doing value add strategies. And now we're buying deals that are, you know, ideally in that 15 to 40 million dollar purchase price, somewhere between 100 to 400 units. Every time we're going to do some sort of a value add play to it and you know, fixing it up or changing management or whatever it may be and and then, you know, we use non-recourse debt and um, just our underwriting has changed a lot and it's it's become more conservative from what I was doing originally and it's just you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And and things change. Uh, if you think about when you first got started, like that first year, year and a half, you know, think back. What was your like your biggest challenge at the time that you were really grappling with? I think biggest challenge in the first year was underwriting because I had the capital at the time. I was I was buying smaller deals that I could afford. But if I was going to go to bigger deals right out of the gate, which is what I should have done, I should have got training sooner. I should have got more in-depth training sooner from A to Z of, of multifamily. You know, yeah, because if, if you're using yeah. your own money, right, there's no one looking over your shoulder and, you know, you, you, you're the easiest person to lie to. <laughs> it's a great deal, you know, you know, yeah. when you got to convince, a, you know, a, a bunch of other investors who are asking you critical questions, it's a different, different thing. And are you, are you more of a numbers guy? Are you more of a relationship guy? Like, where do your strengths lie? I would say I'm more of a team, a relationship, vision, building, you know, projections for the, for the group. That's not to say that I'm, I'm not focused and interested in the numbers on our weekly calls, our management calls and underwriting when we're doing our deals. But I would say Mike is probably more focused and more interested in the underwriting piece. How do you guys split up the partnership then? We own Granite Towers 50-50, but as far as when we're, you know, in the beginning, we were both looking for deals. There wasn't much to asset manage. So we were both building out teams in our markets. We were both underwriting deals. We were both doing due diligence. We were both raising capital. And, you know, as we're starting to get a little further along now, there's just some some other strong suits that I think, you know, he's a little more interested in better at. I'm a little more interested in better at. And, and now we have a podcast as well that we, you know, should probably have you on as well. It's just evolving and, and we're building our team out much more. You know, now we have a full-time accountant, you know, we have um, very specific property management companies for different markets. Um, we have our first acquisitions and asset manager that's full-time with us. We have an underwriter that's helping us with our underwriting. So we're, we're starting to oversee more of a group of, of highly skilled, uh, you know, team members. Partnerships can be tricky, especially early on. Did you struggle at all trying to figure out the partnership? 
You know, not really, Mike. I've known Mike since I was a 10 or 11 years old. We were pretty young. We were friends for a long time. I think our communication and our focus together has just been, you know, knock on wood so far, it's been just phenomenal. We've been doing this now since, you know, full-time 2017, but we bought our first property in 2015. So, you know, and that's not to say we didn't haven't had some challenges. There's been some challenges for sure along the way, but I don't know. I, it seems like it's just flowed pretty dang well. And we've been on a nice, nice trajectory. I mean, how did you, I mean, the problem was you have old, you know, old friends, they know you as the guy doing whatever you were doing when you're knuckleheads and 10 years old, you know, it's, it's, it's rare that you end up in a business relationship with them. How did you guys come to the conclusion that it's a good idea for you guys to go into business? Cause you went on a pretty big journey yeah. yourself, right? I mean, you came through the snowboard and you saw the writing at the wall, you were very motivated and some, somehow Mike must've come along and kind of had a similar journey where you guys concluded that getting together was a good idea. Yeah. You know, I went on my snowboarding career path journey. He went through a high net worth insurance sales career and he was buying single family homes. Like he was, his goal was to buy, I think it was 10 over the next 10 years or something. And I was buying multifamily and he and his wife and kids came out to our place in Washington in 2015. And we were just talking. He's really good friends of mine and our wives get along really well. And when we came out, we started chatting about what we were up to. And, and that kind of just came up. And I was like, man, you should forget the single family homes and let's buy one together. Let's buy a multifamily deal together. He understood and liked it. And, and dude, we have some similar values. We have a lot of similar values on money and wealth, health, you know, so I would say the, the one thing to be careful for Mike and I is that we're too similar and who do we have on our team to handle the other pieces? So that's, that's the part where we're, where we're always, you know, aware of. And Dan, you guys have been partners for how long? We bought our first deal in 2015. Um, we owned, we started Granite Towers though in 2017. How do you guys manage the partnership? Because that's honestly, it's, it's something that I don't think people bring out in the open enough. And it, it's so important. Like I, I had a partnership fail uh, miserably and it was, it was one of the, the hardest experiences I went through. And I'm just curious, how do you guys manage that? And how, how do you guys keep it consistent and work through problems? Yeah, gosh, I, I get this question a lot and I guess I don't, I take, I almost take it for granted um, in the sense that we I don't know exactly what we do, how it works. I guess communication is extremely open. You know, we have a lot of respect for each other, I think is, and we always did growing up. I think that, you know, we, we have a lot of similar values on, on money. You know, there's not one of us who wants to spend lavishly and the other one wants to conservatively keep investing. We both are kind of that conservative invest mentality. Sure. We have times where we want to go on a trip or buy something, but we're not like overly spending. I think we just have a, a, a very clear and good communication, you know, path process is, is the best I can say, you know, unless there's something that I don't know about. Um, it seems to me like it's just, I don't know. I just, it just seems to have evolved. I don't have a great answer. I wish I did. I, I wish I could tell you, this is exactly what we did. Well, but I, you yeah. really, you really did hit on some key things though. I think that the respect factor is, is huge. What can happen is in any partnership, and what I saw in my previous one that didn't work out is we lost respect for each other at a certain point. We didn't believe in the same things anymore. We started to grow in a separate people and with separate visions on the company and just life in general. And once that respect was gone, it really made it hard to continue forward. And I think, you know, people may not spend enough time on just keeping that healthy. It's, it's yeah. really like a marriage. 
Yeah. Um, I've never been married. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have no. had partners and uh, I hear it's the, you know, very, very similar in that respect, but it's having the similar values on the money, like you mentioned and being conservative, one person's blowing it super flashy, blowing cash over here, that affects your liquidity. Maybe that you, you need to go get loans. Those things that that alignment, I think, is is so helpful, yeah. and so I yeah. think you're doing it naturally, which is cool. But there's there's still been I think the respect over everything has helped you guys a lot. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you. I think I think the other part that's helped us a lot is we were trained very similar when we're looking at deals and and buying deals. We have you know we're not trying to do a new build one week and then storage facilities the next and then multifamily the next. It's it's there's some similar alignment there as well. You can have shiny object syndrome guys in multiple facets, right? So I think what, what Dan's talking about is, you know, you could go and say, oh, self-storage is the, is the way forward or this or, you know, industrial or whatever. And I think one of the things that at least I've done personally in, in my career that's helped me a ton is stick with one niche, one specific niche. And it's like value add multifamily. There's been different iterations of it over time, but going deep into that has really made a a big difference and not getting the shiny object syndrome when it comes to different asset classes. And I can't agree more. I feel like that happened to my snowboarding career too. Just that one laser focused path, become an expert at it, make sure you're the best of the best and you're likely to find success in that avenue. Yeah, that's that's a, that's really good advice. You know, and the other thing else, we, we learn things as we go along. You guys have been doing this for a number of years. And I, I'm curious, what would you do differently if now what you know now you know, and, and we look at this all the time. It's like, man, you know, I, and I, I don't really believe in mistakes per se. These are all learning opportunities and they evolve you as a, as a person. Clearly, you would never do your first deal again for a multitude of reasons, but it's kind of gotten you where you are today. But nevertheless, you know, if you could sit yourself down, you know, five, six years ago and have a conversation, how would you approach the business? What would you have done differently, maybe? Yeah, I would have gone and gotten deeper training from a higher level uh, investor earlier. Um, you know, you think you know it, but you, you don't know what you don't know. And that's the part I even think about today. Okay. I'm from 2012 to 2022, I got 10 years of buying and owning and managing some multifamily to some level. Obviously the last six years has been completely obsessively focused on it, but still, what don't you know? You know, you think you know it all of a sudden a pandemic hits, whoa, how, how's this going to affect us? Right. You know? So I think just getting training at in a deeper level and understanding it at a deeper level and then, um, and then just taking massive action. I think that that's really good. Uh, as for, like the, I'll give you an example. Like I, my first business, I was like, well, my, my partner handled like the accounting, but I was kind of naive to trying to understand it as, as maybe as well as I should have. And even though it, accounting wasn't my strength and I knew it, I still wanted to, I should have wanted to know it enough to be dangerous at or just enough to understand it because every facet of the business, you start out with a, with a certain skill or whatever it is. And you're like, I'm going to excel in this skill. Let's say it's finding deals or whatever it is. You go down that path. You're like, I'm really good at this. Okay. That's great. That's your stake. Okay. That's the stake that you want. You want to basically become amazing at the stake, but then you can add the sides later to, to really understand the business over time you really still want to have an idea of how the business, all the different facets of the business and how they work so that you can speak knowledgeably about them and you understand how they all work together to be successful. In that instance, I actually hired a consultant 
that new accounting really well in the real estate form. And I got training and I did all the books myself. And in that training, I was able to become more well-rounded as an entrepreneur and investor um, nice. in general. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I, I would agree too. When we hire our team members, we hired our accountant. He was a CBRE senior executive for seven or eight years. And bringing him on the team and explaining some stuff to us and helping us understand some of the things you don't fully grasp from these management reports has been super helpful. So I, I totally make sense there. And that's, that's the other version of it. Just, just taking your the people you can hire will teach you a ton. Mm-hmm. The HR department that we had, I, I built it. I didn't even know anything about HR because I never worked a job in my life that had an HR department. And so, but I had someone that knew it cold. And so I could ask this person questions all the time. And all of a sudden we had that. And so I love that you touch on that. Those surrounding yourself with those people is, are, are really important as well. Yeah. I, I love that. Dan, what is your kind of your parting advice for people who are maybe where you were some number of years ago and to see the writing at the wall and they really want a solution and they feel real estate is a, is a way to do it? Kind of, what's, what's your advice for them? Uh, number one is if I can do it, anyone can do it. I feel like, you know, there's nothing special here about it. I think getting educated and, and making sure it's great education. And and if you're going to invest passively in deals, you can get some education too, to do some, some basic understanding to see if the deal sponsor that you're going to be investing with, or if you're going to be a deal sponsor, you just got to have that basic knowledge education before you even get going. So step one is just get educated and make sure it's a high level of education. And then when you start to invest, make sure you're putting your money in the deals. And if you're hesitant to put your money in the deals, you're probably not ready to be raising money. That is great advice. Guys, one thing I looked up about, Dan, that's really a fun fact that you did this thing called the gap of death. Dude, incredible. Just look at that picture once when you guys get a chance. You're you're absolutely a legend. Thanks for coming on. A le- legend in snowboarding, but also creating this awesome legacy in real estate, which is so fantastic to tap into your knowledge and abilities, Dan. So thanks so much for spending time with us. How can people get a hold of you if they want to want to find you? Yeah, you just hop on www.granitetowersequitygroup.com. There's a contact us form. We have a free ebook. It's again, www.granitetowersequitygroup.com. Or you can send me an email, dan at granitetowersequitygroup.com. You guys heard the man. Thanks so much. You know, sometimes we have to go through life ourselves and, and experience and suffer personally before it changes our life. And sometimes I support a certain degree of suffering is necessary, but sometimes you can look ahead at other people's suffering, Garrett, right? So what, what he did is he looked ahead at some of the other snowboarders who were ahead of him and he saw what they were going through and he was like, that's not what I want. It's like, uh, you know, you, you look at your, I'm looking at my, my boss, you know, when I was still employed long, long time ago, three lives ago, and I'm looking ahead of this guy, you know, he's earning good money. He's, he's driving a nice car, but that's it, right? I mean, that's, that's it. His, his income as high as it is, is going to be capped. Even the attorneys that we spend, we pay 500 bucks an hour. Well, that's about the most they can make, you know? I mean, there's, you know, and so you look ahead at what your current track is. You look ahead, even for us, Garrett, like, you know, do I want 10,000 units? Well, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Let's look at other people that have 10,000 units. You know, they got 25 people plus running around as this giant company. Do we want that? Do we not want that? So looking ahead, and is that something I aspire to or not aspire to? And Dan did that. And because of that, he was able to take action before 
the bankruptcy, leaving his professional sport. And I think that's really powerful looking ahead and and seeing, well, how do I make decisions now? Or are gonna and I'm gonna end up exactly there. Maybe I don't want to end up there. Yeah, you know, I did something very similar. I was like when I was in the nightclub business, I was like, all right, what does the pinnacle of this look like? Like if I'm the best nightclub owner of all time or in the industry at the highest level, what does it look like? And I saw a lot of guys that were had struggling marriages. Uh, that were miserable all the time, running around chasing women, and I'm and I'm like, do I want that to be my life? Absolutely not. And so that helped me make the change early enough where I could kind of you know get into real estate. And then you look at the most successful real estate people, and they're billionaires, right? So they're the ceiling is pretty. There, there pretty much is no ceiling in, in this industry, which which is awesome. And I think. You know, that's such a, what you said, Michael, is, is so powerful and how it ties into kind of what Dan said is he did keep, regardless of what industry you're in, uh, when you're transitioning, he did do one thing, right? Which is keep that laser focus. So whether it was snowboarding and then now in real estate, he kept this focus on something specific, went really deep into that and that helped lead him to success. It's so true, and and you know, on, on kind of on that on that note is really look at the the path that you're on right now, and this is so powerful because the path you're on, it is powerful. It's almost the status quo is so powerful that most people getting out of that path is almost impossible. I mean, because because our comfort zone is so strong, and we love our comfort zone. And so we talked about reinventing yourself in transitions, and it's super painful. You're like, I want to get to the next level, but I'm just, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to go through the pain that I know I'm going to go through. So I would say, look at the path you're on right now. If you are okay with being in the same place you are right now, this time next year, then stay in the same path, right? Or five years, just projected forward like like Dan did, and 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 if not, you got to make a change. You got to make a change, and so this is the same thing for for anything right now. We have this this vehicle called apartment building, multifamily real estate. That is by far the best vehicle on the planet to become financially free. And you can do it by becoming active, the active entrepreneur. You can do it by passively investing. Both paths lead to the same destination, which is financial freedom. So you pick your path, and if you if you're not on the path right now to financial freedom and you want to be, then you got to do something differently, right? So so start investing in yourself. If you're listening to this podcast, invest in yourself. There's a lot of great programs out there. We happen to think we have the best one out there. Check us out. If you value mentorship, check us out at themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor. Like Dan was saying, if you have the ability to work with a high-end person, a full-time syndicator who manages the hundreds, possibly thousands of units, and you can work with that person, how much time would that shave, shave off, right? Could you maybe do your first deal faster? Could you scale bigger? The answer, of course, is, is yes. So look into mentorship. Look at us at the, themichaelblank.com forward slash mentor and, and think about investing in yourself. But same thing, if you have a, a high-income earner, you have money that you're investing in the stock market, how insane is that? I mean, does that keep you up at night? Bitcoin, stock market, I mean, it stresses me out. I don't even invest in it. It stresses me out just watching it going up and down because I never know when it's going to happen. You know, the inflation is eating away up the stocks and, and all that stuff. So why not consider investing in syndications, these real estate syndications? Have you tried that? Is that something you might want to try? 
So a couple things for you guys to consider is we have this, this report we put out where we compare the stock market to real estate investing syndication specifically. It's at themichaelblank.com forward slash report. So if you're curious about that, that is the place to go to. If you're like, okay, I'm ready to have a conversation, then head to our investment company called Nighthawk Equity and let's have a conversation. I mean, book a call right there. Just click the join button, book a call with us and we'll see if it's right for you. And if so, then we'll put you on the list for our upcoming deal that Garrett is working on. So, you know, I, I think think it's great you guys are, are listening to this podcast very important at one point though you got to see am i on the on the right path to where i want to go and, and if you are then great but if not then make a change so hopefully dan's story today inspires you and we'll catch you next time thanks for listening take the next step toward financial freedom by checking out our freedom vault where you can find free resources to help you with apartment building investing Whether you're an active investor just starting out or looking to scale your syndication business or looking to invest passively, head over to themichaelblanc.com slash vault to gain access to our Freedom Vault.